0: So Matthew chapter number five, we're going to start in verse one and just read through verse number three. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our study of his word today. Lord, as we read these words, just a short passage today, just a couple lines of Scripture, yet in them we find life, in them we find, yes, blessing, in them we find promise, in them we find hope, Uh, mostly, importantly, we find truth, uh, because you are the truth, oh God, you have a monopoly on the truth. You have the words of life. Uh, As your disciples said, where else can we go? And uh, we don't have anywhere else to turn. Um, It's not that you're the last option, O Lord. It's that you are the option. You are the way. So may we see that in the scripture today. May may it be opened up to our understanding. Uh, May you illuminate these words by the Holy Spirit as we read and study that you would apply them to our hearts. Make us thankful for the truths that we find therein most of all Christ may you be glorified as we have sung just a few minutes ago may that be our heart's desire even now we pray this in Jesus name amen good news for the poor in spirit that's that's what we're going to that's kind of what we're going to take as a, a topic this morning as we read in Matthew 5:3 blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven a question as we begin this morning, have you ever had to admit that you didn't have something that you needed? Or maybe I could ask the opposite question, and it might ring a bell. Have you ever been too stubborn to admit that you didn't have something that you needed? As I was thinking about that question, I thought of a a little bit of a story. Uh, When I I was seven or eight years old, I went Away from my first week at summer camp. First time I had been away at a summer camp where it was a sleepover type thing um, for the whole week. And it was at Camp Good News over in Charlestown, New Hampshire. Um, many of you are probably familiar with that place and that property. Uh, well, on the first day of that week, on Monday, after my parents had dropped me off and we had lunch and the afternoon activities, uh, we had kind of a get to know each other thing for our cabin, um, you know, a group of probably eight to 12 boys of, at my same age. And we went on a little bit of a hike. And on that hike, it included walking near uh, the stream that runs through that camp property in Charlestown, New Hampshire. Well, at some point, for whatever reason, um, I was not, maybe I was not very nimble. I wasn't at that age. And I stepped right into that stream. Of course, I'm wearing sneakers and socks, and uh, they got soaking wet, right? Soaking wet, absolutely soaking wet. Well, that's not a huge deal, right? Well, it was a huge deal when you factor in the idea that I was, you know, seven years old and didn't have a whole lot of common sense at that point. Uh, So what wasn't much of a big deal ended up getting a lot worse because it was actually a really rainy week at camp that week. And I, of course, left my shoes outside to dry in the rain. And uh, so they didn't dry at all that week. They were just soaking wet the whole week. I think I probably walked around in them wet for a few days and then realized that's not working so I I put them outside to dry and the only other pair of shoes I I had or at least I thought I had, I think I had another one actually in my suitcase that I didn't even find Uh, but the only other pair of shoes that I put on that week was a pair of sandals. The combination of having walked around in wet shoes for a few days and then wearing sandals for the rest of the week left my feet really in rough shape. I mean they were worn raw. Uh, It was not a good situation. Uh, that was the worst blisters I have ever had in my life. And if you're grossed out by feet and blisters and all that kind of stuff, I'm sorry, but you have to get the image that it was not a good situation. I think I went almost all week. I think it was Friday before I even told anyone that my feet were in really bad shape. They ended up sending me to the nurse's office and my feet were all bandaged up and I had to wear socks and sandals, which, you know, that's maybe a fashion faux pas. I don't know. I'm not much up on that kind of stuff, but either way, uh... I remember my mom asking me when she picked me up, and she said to me, why didn't you tell someone about your problem earlier? You know, I'm not sure I had an answer for her that day. Um, I probably just chalked it up to, well, I didn't know. I didn't think about it. Um, more likely, it was because I was stubborn. Uh, maybe I didn't want help, or maybe I didn't want to admit that I needed something that I didn't have. Okay, I needed dry shoes, or I need, at least needed advice to you know get my feet taken care of and then wear socks instead of just having them rubbed raw on my sandals all week. Maybe I didn't want to own up to the fact that eh, I've got a problem here. Whatever it was, obviously my what I perceived as being tough or independent in that moment, that didn't help me that much that week at summer camp. Maybe that's just a simple story. I think it may be kind of a parable, though, for what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 5, 3, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We spent a lot of time a couple weeks ago detailing just what it means to be blessed. Being blessed is happy, but not just emotionally happy. Being blessed is to be fortunate, but not just in the sense of good luck. Being blessed really means to be congratulated. The blessed ones are in a good way. Now, we think of this statement. We don't typically think of being poor or, or being in poverty as something that's in a positive light. But Jesus says here that these poor are blessed, not despite, but even in their poverty. Notice that he doesn't say blessed will be the poor in spirit. But he makes it present tense. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now this state of blessedness does include a future hope. As he says, the poor in spirit, they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. But how are the poor in spirit blessed? How are they to be congratulated? How are they in the good way? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at a few basic questions. And if you have your outline handout for today, that will be kind of our our skeleton as we seek to put some flesh on this verse. We'll ask these three questions. What does poor in spirit mean? What does being poor in spirit look like? And then what is the good news for the poor in spirit? And here's maybe the big idea for today. There is good news for the poor in spirit. Only those who understand their depth of poverty before God will experience true riches. Firstly, what does poor in spirit mean? Another way of saying or thinking about this term, poor in spirit, is thinking about it uh, as a noun, this spiritual poverty. And it's important to recognize that Jesus is not referring here to some special incentive to enter into monetary poverty. Uh, He's not simply speaking of being poor, and he's not telling people to go out and just become poor for the sake of being poor. It's a specific type of poverty that he's referring to. I like how Dr. James Boyce uh, defines it. He says, to be poor in spirit is to be poor in the inward man, not in outward circumstances, and, which is even more important, to know it. In other words, to be poor in spirit is to know one's deep spiritual poverty before God. The kind of poverty that Jesus mentions here is not just monetary poverty. Being poor when it comes to money and being poor in spirit don't always go hand in hand. There are plenty of people who are poor when it comes to money, but they are proud in spirit. And on the alternative... There are plenty of people who have wealth beyond imagine, but they're poor in spirit before the Lord. The word that Jesus uses uh, to speak of being poor is important as well. There are really two main words in the vocabulary in Jesus' day to speak of being poor. Now, one word is a word that usually refers to the working poor. That is, those who are in a rough financial lot in life, but they're able to at least muddle through and and survive by scraping together an income that at least feeds them and their family and takes care of their most basic needs. They have what they need, but they only have what they need. They don't have anything extra, but what they have is by the sweat of their brow. In other words, they they did not receive uh, or they were not born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Uh, their ship hasn't come in, all of those good things. They're kind of the normal people. They're just, they're working every day, they're earning what they need to survive, and that's about it. That's one kind of poor. It's, It's the working poor. Any stop in effort, though, on the part of these people, or any major incident or emergency, would probably leave them behind as they exist on the brink of financial bankruptcy. These might be You know, equivalent to living paycheck to paycheck in our day, which plenty of people do. It's kind of a normal thing. It's not the best situation, but you have what you need for the most part. That's not the kind of poverty or poorness that Jesus is speaking of, though. The word that Jesus uses for poor or poverty is much stronger. You see, you have the working poor, but then you have the beggar. And not the beggar who could be working, but chooses instead to ask others for, you know, a little bit of help, a handout. Now this is the real kind of beggar. The beggar who is destitute. The kind of beggar who not only has nothing, but they have no ability to achieve what they need to attain what they need. This is the kind of beggar who's so far from financial hope and so lacking in any ability to earn his way back that the only option that he has is to sit on the street's edge and to cry out for mercy. So when Jesus is referring then to the spiritually poor, he's not referring to those who are are just making it or those who are, are scraping by, Or those who know that life before God is difficult, but by hard work and sacrifice, you can scrape through. No, he's speaking of those spiritually poor who are already bankrupt. They already are helpless. And they know it. They're spiritually destitute. They have no ability to earn a a spiritual wealth. They have no standing to become spiritually upright by their own. They they aren't in line for a a spiritual inheritance that can give them a boost one day. As an illustration, I want to consider Jesus' parable of the great feast in Luke 14. I want to read this passage and uh, make a few comments about it. Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who reclined at a table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame here jesus is giving some practical insight into just living he's saying that the gift of hospitality is not just to be those for the, or not just to be for those in your social class or your close friends but it's To be for the poor and the crippled and the lame, the outcast and the destitute of society. But as the narrative goes on, someone uh, speaks up and they kind of give their own little beatitude. And they say, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took that as a teaching moment. And he tells of a great banquet where many were invited. It's apparent by the context that these were probably the kind of people who were used to that sort of invitation. In other words, they expected it. They were accustomed to be invited uh, to these kinds of special feasts to the point where, in Jesus' story, they have grown indifferent to it. And when it came time to attend that great banquet, they all found better things to do. They gave excuses. Well, I bought a new field, and I have to go look at it. I bought a five yoke of oxen. I need to go check them out. I like the third guy. I've married a wife, and sorry, I just can't make it. I'm not sure what his reason was, but either way. All of these excuses are kind of lame, aren't they? You didn't look at the field before you bought it. You don't know what these oxen are like before you paid the price. You don't realize that you can go to the banquet with your wife. Rather, these excuses, of course, this is a parable, but they reveal a lack of concern, maybe a a lack of the sense of importance in the lives of these invitees. They were all set. They didn't really need the feast. It was just another feast after all. They'd, They'd catch the next one. They didn't care for the preparation and the planning of the host. They had plenty of options in life, and they simply chose otherwise. So the host of this feast got enraged at these poor excuses and he made a decision. He told his servant, he said, go out into the streets and compel the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These were the destitute. These were the outcasts. These were the ones who would have never been invited to a great feast like this. But ironically... They were the ones who needed the feast the most. They would have been shocked at the invitation, shocked at the circumstances. Uh, Really, they might have even been embarrassed by the invitation. What would they wear? How would they present themselves, not knowing that that didn't matter? All that mattered in this case is that the, the host of the feast wanted willing participants to come to his banquet, he wanted feasts, or he wanted participants in his feast that would be thankful, that would see the importance of it. Notice the list: the lame, the blind, the crippled, the poor. This is the same word for poor that Jesus uses in Matthew five three. This is the class of society who were all together with one thing in common. They were beggars. They were beggars because they had no means, not just no means of ownership, they had no means of attaining any income, any financial stability, any normal way of life. They were begging because they had no other option, begging because they had no ability to earn. They had come to terms with their poverty, and they could do nothing about it. We don't have time to go into all the meaning of Jesus' parable there, but this is what it is to be spiritually poor. It means to realize that our condition spiritually is bankruptcy, but it's not just bankruptcy. It's the fact that we are lame and crippled and blind, and we're unable. Now this is so fitting. As Jesus begins his great sermon on the mount, the first thing that he teaches us is that we can never meet all of these standards with our own spiritual riches. The sermon to follow is not just a list of goals that are difficult but attainable. No, blessed are the ones who can't achieve it, and they know it. Secondly, though, what what does being poor in spirit look like? What does it look like when we recognize this spiritual poverty, this bankruptcy and inability before the Lord? Well, primarily, I think it looks like brokenness. Matt read earlier from Isaiah 57. That's a passage that we studied uh, several months ago in our time in Isaiah Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I have made Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. He went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. But I have seen his ways. I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. I will hear, I will heal him. The Lord here is referred to the high, the, the lofty one, the holy one. And he speaks to the lowly, the, the the contrite, the penitent one. And notice why this one was so low. He was low because of his unjust position before the Lord. He had found himself in God's anger because of his sin. His sin was the cause of his low position, but there was something about him. He wasn't just low and Feeling badly for himself, it says he was contrite. What does the Lord say he would do for him? He would heal him, heal him of his brokenness, heal him of his lowliness, he would revive his heart. Perhaps another passage of scripture, maybe more familiar, will illustrate it as well. David in Psalm 51. Verse 15 says, "O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Of course, this is King David. And why is David so broken here? Why is he so cast down Uh, again? Because of his sin. His sin and and its consequences have left him in this condition of of feeling nothing. Of just brokenness, of of poverty. Psalm 51 pictures David as a, a beggar. Now imagine it. The king as a beggar. A beggar, though, not for financial means. A beggar for spiritual means. Restoration. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. To be in spiritual poverty is to be broken before the Lord. It is to come to that place before Him where you realize that you simply cannot attain You simply cannot achieve his perfect standards. You say, I'm too far gone. I'm too sin sick. And of course, all the world is this way. But not everyone recognizes their brokenness. Not everyone realizes it. It is a blessed condition then to recognize your spiritual poverty. Earlier, I gave that illustration of my stubbornness and my bad week at summer camp. Can I tell you that that kind of attitude has followed me? That kind of stubbornness has followed me in life. And if I had to imagine, I would say that many of you would share a similar story. Stubbornness and independence, they're sometimes helpful, but oftentimes they're detrimental. It is helpful when you really are in a situation where you just need to push through. Okay, Sometimes you just have to do what needs to be done, but it comes back to bite you when you're in a situation where you're never going to be able to simply push through. Can I tell you that I have been there? I have gotten myself into the place before where I was up against a wall, up against my own sin in a way that I could never just push through, but I kept telling myself I could. I kept telling myself, just try a little harder. Don't let anyone see you struggle. You can defeat this, you can come out unscathed. Don't do that. Don't do it. Dear one, if you are in a place in life where you just cannot do it, recognize it. Embrace it. But don't stop there. Come to the Lord. In him, the poor in spirit, the broken, are the blessed ones. Listen, there's no beatitude for the stubborn. There's no beatitude for the hard-headed and the independent. There's no beatitude for the I-don't-need-any-help mentality. There is no blessing for the one who has it all under control. No, rather, there is blessing for the broken, for the bankrupt, for those who recognize their great need, before God. Neither is there any blessing, though, for and I'm almost there, I just need a little help attitude. Apart from the mercy of the Lord, it's not that we're 90% or 80% or 50% or even 10 or 5% of the way to blessedness. No. We don't need Christ because we're 80% blessed and 20% broken. Rather, we need the Lord's mercy because we are broken. Those apart from the Lord, Jesus tells us in John 3, are, are condemned already in that state. And that is the transformation from completely broken and helpless to blessed and helped by the grace of our Savior. What then is the good news for the poor in spirit? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives that same promise in the eighth beatitude where he speaks about those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. A kingdom inheritance. Imagine that. You you think of being poor, you think of being destitute, you think of being hopeless and helpless and lacking any daily provision, then you get this news. You are blessed. Your inheritance is a kingdom inheritance. Friend, I ask you, are you spiritually broken? Do you recognize that you are in such a condition of spiritual poverty and inability before God? There's a great Blessing for in coming to the Lord in that condition. You are promised an incredible inheritance. You see, no one can buy or earn their way into this inheritance. The gates of this kingdom only open for the poor. No well-established or self-made spiritual man gets to sit at a prominent table in this feast. No, the reservations at this table are only for the ones who can't pay for the meal. Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' feast is a kingdom and a feast like no other. It's the only one where you only fit in if you don't fit in. It's the only kingdom where true riches only come through poverty. Luke 18 of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You probably know this parable well. Can I tell you that this is a parable of spiritual poverty versus spiritual pride? Both men in this parable were of means. The Pharisees, they were not beggars. Tax collectors certainly were not beggars. The difference then was of spiritual poverty. The Pharisee, he touted his standing, his accomplishments, his good efforts as his ticket to being blessed by the Lord. He he held his own righteousness up to God and said, See what I've done, Lord. I'm not like this man or that man. I am, I am who I am. You must be so happy with me. The other man, the tax collector, who would have been seen as a traitor and despised in Israel, couldn't even look up as he prayed. He had only one plea, only one hope. He had come to the end of himself. He had realized his spiritual condition, and he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is a prayer of the poor in spirit. And dear one, that is a prayer That the Lord answers. This man, Jesus said, this man was justified before God rather than the Pharisee. The man who is rich and proud in spirit doesn't even know his own poverty, but the man who is humble and poor in spirit is truly rich. Psalm 34 Verses 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Notice what the righteous man does. He cries for help. He cries out for help. That's the position of righteousness. Not that we are self-sufficient. Not that we have by any means attained. Not that we are independent and bold in our own goodness and ability. No, that we cry out for help. Do you cry out for help in your brokenness? Do you admit your true position spiritually? Do you recognize and embrace your weakness and bankruptcy? That is the only way to be helped. Lord, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Are you in that place? Is your heart broken by your sin? Are you crushed in spirit because you simply cannot attain? You simply cannot go another day. If that's the case, then cry out to the Lord. The Lord does not save those who just need a little boost The Lord does not justify those who are almost perfect. No, the Lord saves the broken. There is a brokenness then that takes place, that is realized when someone comes to faith in the Lord. There's a realization that apart from him, there is only hopelessness. And in that brokenness and crying out for mercy, there is salvation. What then is the good news for the poor in spirit? The good news is that there is a great inheritance. There is justification. There is healing. There is deliverance, salvation. But can I say that there also must be a continued state of of brokenness that occurs in the life of the believer. You see, we begin in brokenness, realizing our own poverty and inability before the Lord, and we continue in that state. You see, every day as a Christian is a day of being poor in spirit. But that also means that every day as a believer is a day of blessedness. If you are here today, and your standing before God is one of effort or pride, then in all love I say, may God crush you and break you before it's too late. If you or I are here today, and we feel that we have arrived at a place in life where we've achieved some sort of standing before God, then may God show us the depth of our deception. Dear ones, God blesses the broken, the crushed, the beggar in spirit. Do you realize your poverty before God? If so, then you are to be congratulated. You are a blessed man, a blessed woman, rather than the proud and the rich. For yours, as Jesus says, is the kingdom.